Hi, my name is Ben, and welcome to the show. Today on the Deconstruct Podcast, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. We're going to be talking for a little bit about music education in the United States, how it is, frankly, unequal, and what we can do to fix it. When you think about music being taught in public schools, what's the first thing that springs to mind? For some, it may conjure up images of a cacophony of the high-pitched squeal of hot cross buns played on cheap plastic recorders. For others, it may be the high school orchestra playing Beethoven's Ninth, or a marching band blaring out a Sousa march as they parade down the town's main street. There is a fundamental problem with all of this. Nobody actually listens to this music in their daily lives. No radio station in this country would likely play the simple folk songs of hundreds of years past. Few people on the street have classical music in their iTunes library, and any brass bands making bank in the modern world are often buskers playing the pop hits of their day. And yet, for some reason, music academia and music education is still largely preoccupied with teaching this sort of dead music. In 2013, a survey by Lee Falconer found that 97% of public schools in Idaho, Oregon, and Washington provided traditional bands, and 37% provided orchestra as part of standard curriculum, but contemporary ensembles were only offered in 7% of schools. Admittedly, this number has likely gone up in recent years with the introduction of programs like Little Kids Rock, but these programs still have yet to see widespread adoption. This disparity applies to other facets of the music education world, with only 14% of the schools surveyed offering show choirs and only 28% jazz choirs, despite 78% offering traditional choirs. The only non-orchestral or non-band instrument with more than a tenth of schools offering to teach the instrument is guitar, with over two-thirds of schools offering it. Music theory classes are offered at three-fifths of the schools surveyed, and despite music technology being a fundamental component to understanding and creating music in the 21st century, only 8% of schools provided a program teaching it. This reflects my own experience going through music in public education. Most of the programs students that I know went through focused on either classical or jazz music, with contemporary music often relegated to the lower level ensembles, as if they were only worthy to be performed by less seasoned performers. So, to see if my experience matched other people that I knew, I sent out a poll to my social media audience, a majority of whom went through publicly funded music education programs. One question that I asked in the survey was, do you know what Nashville chord symbols are? And if so, did you learn them in school? For those of you who don't know, Nashville chord symbols are an invention of modern American music used for notating music in a way that reflects the needs of modern styles to be able to create arrangements of songs on the fly. Of those that I surveyed, only about 20% said that they knew what they were. And even then, none of those learned the system in school. Despite Nashville chord charts being used in professional circuits since the 1950s, these systems are often eschewed for tools that were common in the 18th century and aren't relevant to modern teaching. My textbook for music theory in college 
The Musician's Guide to Theory and Analysis, devotes four chapters to the study of counterpoint, a style that hasn't been common in centuries for choral music, and yet only devotes a single chapter to popular music. So why do we teach these outdated styles? Well, the answer is simple. Elitism, classism, and racism. Philip Ewell, professor at Hunter College, has been a proponent of applying critical race theory to music education and music theory as taught in academic circles. He proposes that, quote, music theory's white racial frame believes that the music and music theories of white persons represent the best and in certain cases the only framework for music theory, end quote. As an example, Ewell cites Shankarian analysis as being a core component in the domination of whiteness and racism in music theory. In addition to many of its fundamentals being only found in the styles of Western Europe, Schenker himself was a racist and a German nationalist who explicitly linked his work with the supremacy of white people. And yet, for some reason, this system is still being taught in schools across America. The use of these outdated and elitist systems are at the direct detriment of the people who go through our education system. For this, let's run with the idea that music is a language. Would any language course survive for long if they were to teach the way that people in that region hundreds of years ago spoke? Sure, it might be useful to learn the old Italian if you wanted to read Dante's Inferno, but for everyday use, a course like this would be useless, and no one would take it. That's why the field of linguistics prioritizes the way that language is spoken by the people who speak it, and only seeks to describe it, not prescribe a way of speech. And yet, music is taught in much the same way today as I have described that language course in prioritizing styles from before the 20th century. And so, people who are taught in this system have no way of communicating their ideas in modern parlance. In my own experience, very few people who were taught music in public schools have the tools necessary to play the styles that they listen to in their spare time. And most people who dominate the music world today learned what they knew outside of the classroom. So it's not a very useful system that we're teaching in schools today. So now that I've laid these facts out for you, you may be on board saying, okay, I understand that the way that music is taught in public schools is kind of racist, but what about the kids that do want to perform the classical styles of hundreds of years ago? Perhaps for minorities, the system would allow them to partake in these programs, even if they are outdated. Well, I'm sorry to say that non-white folk are also at a disadvantage here. Carrie Ann Simon provides a pretty good overview of the woes that plague high-poverty schools in terms of music education. Well, the biggest issue is one of funding. Since many schools are funded by local property taxes, schools in places with higher poverty rates have less money to spend, and so they need to allocate funds more sparingly. 
And since music is often seen by lawmakers as inessential to curricula, schools with lower funding often have to cut these programs in order to prioritize programs that actually determine whether a school survives to the next year. These are often the traditional programs like English, maths, and sciences. In addition, what funding a school does have for music is often not enough to be able to provide qualified teachers or the materials necessary for students' education. These facts cannot be separated from the historical racism that prevented black neighborhoods from receiving aid, and so these neighborhoods were disproportionately more likely to be poorer than their white counterparts. And so it's no surprise that one reported school district was only able to provide $167 per student, with only two-thirds of elementary schools having dedicated music rooms and sc students scoring 27% lower on music aptitude than low-poverty schools. All of this from the racism present in the teaching of music to the racism in the distribution drives down non-white participation in music academia. The Society for Music Theory, a group mainly composed of music academia, reported in 2019 that 83% of its numbers were white, with people of Asian descent accounting for only 7%. Minorities in this country make up over a third of the nation's population. This is not okay. This overwhiteness of music education and music academia is reflected when looking in high school music ensembles, where white students were also overrepresented, though not nearly to the same amount. The survey I also sent reflect this bias. The difference in Asian communities being overrepresented may come down to culture. The Suzuki method of teaching orchestra was invented in Japan, and classical music in schools there have had a long and storied tradition in that culture. But otherwise, minorities in America are underrepresented in music education. So, how can we fix that? Well, one obvious approach would be to appropriate funding to public schools based on need and not through property taxes. This would allow schools to fund programs that aren't strictly those put on standardized tests. To include more students into music programs, the biggest step that music education could take would be to include styles of music and styles of teaching that aren't in the Western tradition and hold them to the same degree of rigor and acceptance as the classical practice. I had mentioned earlier in the podcast Nashville chord charts, and the implementation would be a simple but long-lasting addition to any program. Neil Matthews Jr., a singer in the group that pioneered the system, the Jordanaires, said that the Nashville numbering system provided us with the shorthand that we needed so that we can depend on our ears rather than a written arrangement. It took far less time to jot down the chords, and once you had a chart written, it applied to any key. The beauty of the system is that we don't have to read. We don't get locked into an arrangement that we may feel is not as good as the one we can improvise. These values that Neil Matthews has provided are more applicable to contemporary music, and implementing them would create a place for people who don't fit neatly into the classical tradition. In American schools, this is starting to play out. Programs like Little Kids Rock are creating a place for modern band in school and are having a positive impact on the way that students learn music without being a detriment to programs already in place, but instead expanding their potential. With these changes to an old and outdated system, 
The future is bright for the education of music in this country, but we need to take the steps in order to see their fruits. So this has been the Deconstruct Podcast. My name is Ben, and I'll see you with a normal episode next time. Take care.